There is a river where goodness flows. There is a fountain that drowns sorrow. There is an ocean deeper than fear. The tide is rising, rising. There is a current stirring deep inside. It's overflowing from the heart of God. The flood of heaven crashing over us. The tide is rising, rising. Bursting, bursting up from the ground. We feel it now. We come alive in the river. We come alive in the river. We come alive in the river. 
You can be seated. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And leading us in worship is Cameron Shepherd. She's one of our former worship interns, and we're so glad that she's here today. Our uh, worship pastor, Todd Green, is on vacation with family, and so we're glad he gets the opportunity to do that. But Cameron, welcome. Thank you. You're amazing. We're glad you're here. So if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here as well. And here's the one thing that we would ask. There's a guest registration card located there in the pew rack. If you can take that and fill it out, um, there's a spot. If you want to give us a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Or if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, there's a spot where you can indicate that as well. We'd love to get a newsletter in your hands so you can know about the things going on in our church. So Romans 12.1 says this, In light of God's mercy, in light of the gospel, let us Present ourselves as living sacrifices. Let's give our lives to Jesus because this is our spiritual act of worship. So we get another week. We get another, another opportunity to give our lives to Jesus. What a great way to start that week by gathering and singing praises together. Can I get an amen? amen. So as we continue to do that, we also just want to take a moment to stand and greet those around us. So find somebody you don't know. Say hello to them. Give them a high five and welcome them here to First Baptist Church. Even more fist bumps.
nations, our hope is anchored in your name, the name of Jesus. Dare not trust 
trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless stand before the Isn't it incredible that we have a God that is our cornerstone, a God that is our firm foundation, um, a God that through the highs and the lows is always there. Even if we're in the high and we forget to 
to praise him through it, he's still there with us. Even if we're in the deepest valley or the darkest night and he feels so far away, he's still there. He's still with you. And that's such an incredible thing to know and to just come before him and recognize that. So I pray that this next song that I pray and I ask that you sing it as if it's a prayer to God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how great or bad things are going. I don't know if maybe there's somebody on your mind that you just say, I really need to share the gospel with this person. But I've been too scared to do it. In this next song, just whatever it is, offer it up to Christ. Just bow down at his feet and just worship him because he is the only thing that matters. He is the one true king and his spirit is with us always. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. shame is under your presence Lord. Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory nothing worth more that could ever come close no thing can compare you're our living hope your presence Lord I've tasted and seen shame is undone. 
So Father God, we just come before you this morning. We come before you with joy that we get to come into your presence and worship you. God, that's so exciting. God, we come before you and we just lay everything down at your feet. Because right now in this moment, um, in these next few minutes as we, as we worship you and we hear your word, God, God, take everything out of our minds and just let us focus on you. Open our minds to just hear you and your words and the specific things that we need to hear individually this morning, God. God, we just thank you that we get to come before you today and worship and learn about you. And it's in your holy name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Cameron. Great to have you with us today as always. And good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Glad to be with you today. I've been sharing a series of sermons uh, this month that we're wrapping up today entitled Stress and Distress. And we're trying to learn how to cope with some of the distress in our lives by looking at the example of David in the Old Testament. King David had a lot of stress. His stress went farther into distress sometimes. And we have seen some different sources for the stress in our lives. Some of it is just what I call circumstantial. You can't help it. It just comes out of the blue. Life hits you. Some of it's relational, we've seen. We saw that David's son Absalom rebelled against him. So maybe in your family, at work, in a marriage, there are some relation, there's relational tension or problems that's causing stress. And then last week we saw that some of it is just the normal things of life that just pile up. I called it cumulative stress. David, in his life, there was a time when enemies, giants, came just in waves upon him. Today, I want to share with you another source of stress, and it's sort of a hard truth to take. Are you ready for it? Some of the stress in your life and my life is our own doing. Today we're going to look and see that some of the cause of stress in our lives is because we've chosen our way instead of God's way. And in those cases, the only way we're going to get relief from some of the stress is to confess our sin and turn to God and His wise path for our lives. That's what happened in David's life in 2 Samuel first chapter 24. Now, I want to say to you right on the outset that uh, there's some things about this chapter I don't understand. If I was smart, I just wouldn't preach on this chapter. I'd just skip it because I don't understand all about it, don't have all the answers. Uh, but we're going to plow in and look at it. The first thing I don't understand is the very first verse. 2 Samuel 24.1 says, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now, that doesn't sound right to us. Why would God incite David to do something that he's going to say is wrong? The rest, other place in the Bible, in James, it says that God never tempts anyone. And then to complicate it even more, in the parallel account in 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles sort of overlaps Second Samuel, so like Matthew and Mark tell two accounts of the story of Jesus, same thing here. So this uh, account, uh, this event is in First Chronicles 21, and there it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Uh, rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. 
So which is it? Is it God? Is it Satan? Why would God be mentioned here? That's a tough one, right? Well, here's what I think. Uh, God doesn't ever tempt anyone to sin. Satan is the tempter. But God is sovereign, and God permits Satan to do that uh, because uh, nothing happens without God's permission. And so in God's permissive will, he sometimes allows Satan to do that, and I think that's what we're saying here. Satan is the immediate cause, but God is that ultimate allower. Remember in the story of Job, Satan wanted to tempt Job, and God permitted him up to a certain extent to bring trouble into his lives. Or, I think a parallel to this is in Romans chapter 1, which is the big chapter in the Bible on the wrath or anger of God. And there it says the anger of God is upon people because they, even though they know about Him, they've rejected Him. And so God has given us over to sexual sin and unto unnatural lusts. And so that, I think that's what happens here and what happened in our lives. God doesn't want us to do those things that are wrong. But finally, when you're so stubborn and obstinate and our society is so stubborn and obstinate, God says, okay, go ahead, have your own way, and you'll reap some of the consequences of that. And he allows us to experience those things as discipline that we might turn back to him. So I think that's what's happening here. God is allowing Satan to tempt David to bring him back to him, and that's what indeed happens. So the big picture, it says the Lord incited David against him. And so it says in verse 2, because of that, So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. And so David took a census. And our second question that's puzzling is, what was wrong with a census anyway? Why is this a sin? What's wrong with it? In the book of Numbers, chapter 1, verse 1, God commanded Moses to take a census of the people. That's why we got this book called Numbers. It's got all these numbers in it. So uh, there's nothing wrong with a census in and of itself. So what's, what's the sin here? And the short answer is we don't know. Maybe God had just told David not to do that and he did it. Maybe it is the motive. Some think, well, it's the motive here. The other census were for purpose of a war that was impending to know what the fighting force was. Here it is just David's pride perhaps, and so perhaps the sin is in the motive of taking the census. Others say, no, the sin might be in the method of taking the census because in Exodus 30 verse 12, God said in the law, when you take a census, you must um, take a shekel as ransom for each person. And so maybe David didn't do that. Maybe he didn't do it as God had said a census should be taken and the method was wrong. I don't know. Short answer is we don't know why this was such a, a wrong thing, but it obviously is because in the very next verse, Joab replied to the king when David gave this order, May the Lord our God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? Joab says, let's don't do this. Joab, if you know the story, he's not a model of virtue and sensitivity to God. He, he's, but even he saw that it was wrong. Even old Joab said, oh, you don't want to do this. Please don't do that. So whatever it was, it was obvious to them, even though it's not obvious to us from the very outset that this was a sinful thing to do. Now let me pause here and make application of this verse. Because you see what I'm going to talk about today is that if you're feeling some stress, 
You need to look at it, and some of that stress comes from your sin. You need to confess it. But first, what I want to say to you is that an even better path is to avoid that stress in the first place. If you will follow God's will, if you'll follow God's word and how he tells you to live, you'll avoid a lot of distress in your life. God loves you. He wants, your, he wants to bless you and wants your life to go well. And so prevent some stress in your life by following God's path for you. That, that's true in your relationships. If you will marry and date, if you'll pursue relationships as God ordained and, and pursue sex with inside marriage as God ordained, it will save you a lot of distress in your life. Because God knows how life ought to be lived. The same thing is true in your money. Yes, God can help you when you get into money troubles, but you know what would be best? Follow the principles of Proverbs about good money management and avoid some stress in your life. And so Joab here is warning David, don't do this, it's going to cause some distress. Oftentimes, folks, when you are about to stray from God's will, He brings somebody into your life, wise counsel, that warns you that this is not a good path. So what you need to do is listen to godly people in your life. Maybe you've got parents right now who are telling you, don't go down this path. Listen to them. Maybe you've got a spouse. You know, God gives you a spouse to keep you from doing some of the stupid things you do. Why don't you listen? If you have a godly spouse, why don't you listen? Maybe you've got a, a friend, a Christian friend, who's trying to help you and warn you about some things in your life. Why don't you listen to that? That's what Joab was trying to do. Joab was far from perfect, but at this point, he knew the will of God. And so I'm saying in our series on stress, you can the best thing to do is avoid some distress that comes from straying from God's will. David overruled Joab. The next verse, verse 4, the king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So apparently there were others trying to get him not to do this as well. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel, to count all of the men in Israel who would be eligible to fight, 20 years old and over, something like that. And so it tells in the verses that follow how they went counterclockwise through Israel. And then verse 9 says, after they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It took them nine months to take this census. Verse 9 says, Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah 500,000. So in the 12 tribes altogether, 1,300,000 eligible fighting men. The census had been done, and verse 10 says, immediately David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. Isn't it interesting how many times we can't see our sin beforehand and we see it afterwards? David would not listen to Joab, but immediately afterward, his heart strikes him, or he is conscience-stricken. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned, greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. And herein lies the greatness of David. David was great not in that he was good at avoiding sin. His greatness was 
he recognized his sin and he confessed it. And that's what he does. His heart is tender to God. It says his heart struck him. It's a good sign if when you sin, your conscience bothers you. It's a bad sign if it doesn't. If, you're, if you are not stricken by your sin when you sin, then either you are dead in your sins and you need resurrection, you need to be born again, or you are deadened and you need revival. But if your conscience does not strike you, that's a bad sign. It's a good sign. David was conscience stricken and he confessed his sin. Verse 11 says, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall thou come on you three years of famine in your land, or three years of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three years of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So God sent his prophet to David to say, The consequences of your disobedience are going to be judgment upon the land. Other people are going to suffer because of your sin. You can choose three years of famine, three months of fighting, three days of famine. And you might say, well, now wait a minute. In verse 10, we saw that David confessed his sin. Why doesn't that erase everything? When you confess your sin, you're forgiven. Your guilt is gone before God. He doesn't hold that against you. But this passage reminds us that the consequences of sin, even on innocent people, are not always erased. And so other people are going to be hurt because of David's sin. David responds in verse 14. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Here's our key word that we've been seeing throughout the series of David. I'm in deep distress. David knows his actions are going to bring terrible consequences on the people of Israel, and he's distressed over it. So notice here, this distress is not caused because some enemy, the Amalekites, burned down his house. This stress is not caused because somebody, his son, rebelled against him. This stress is not caused because waves of enemies keep coming against him. This deep distress is caused because of his actions, his sin. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you're stressed today, would you at least consider the possibility, would you look in your life and say, God, what of the stress that I'm going through comes from my own failure to follow your will? Now, not all of the stress comes from that. We've seen that in the story of David. The story of Job makes it clear. That's what the Job's friends said. Oh, you're in distress because of your sin. That's not always true, but it's sometimes true. It was true here. So would you just look at your life? Maybe you're, oh, I'm just stressed out. Maybe you're saying, oh, my family's just always stressed. We never have enough time. I'm just running everywhere, and, and I'm just so stressed out. Then why don't you at least consider the possibility, has my attitude been wrong that I've been trying to keep up with other people or been trying to do everything instead of do what you want me to do? And I'm so stressed out because of my pride that I want my kids to be everything, and they've become everything except followers of Jesus? That's some hard look at your family and your schedule and your life. Why don't you take that hard look and say, is some of my stress 
coming from my wrong motives and attitudes that I need to repent of and confess to God. Maybe you're stressed out in your business. Maybe you're a businessman or woman, or maybe you in your career, and you just, ah, oh, work is just stressing me out. Why would God put me through so much stress? Would you at least look and see, is it because I have been consumed by greed, or I've been dishonest, or I have followed a direction in my business practices that is contrary to God's will, and that's what's keeping me awake at night? Would you at least look at that and say, God, is there anything in my life that has brought me to the distress that I feel? won't always be so, but it'll sometimes be so. And if you want freedom from that distress, then you need to at least face that possibility in your life and see what God says to you. Well, David chose three days of plague. He said, I'd rather fall in the hands of God than fall in the hands of my enemies. He took the three days of plague. And 70,000 people of these that he had counted, 70,000 died in Israel in those three days. Terrible consequences for his sin. But the mercy of God as the death angel is portrayed in this passage moving through Israel. He came to Jerusalem and God said enough. The mercy of God triumphed over his judgment and he stopped him before he got to the capital city. And God sent the prophet Gad to say to David, go and offer sacrifice. Pick up back up in verse 17. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. And on that day, Gad went to David and said, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Let me give you the setting here. The city of David, Old Testament Jerusalem, on a low ridge below a mountain. Here on top of that mountain, above the city, was a threshing floor where this uh, farmer was threshing his wheat. That is, you put the stalks down, you have oxen go round and round pulling a thredge, sledge, and it separates the, the, the heads from the stalks. And they were usually put upon a high place, a hill or a mountain, because you wanted a breeze, because the next step after threshing was to winnow, and you would fork that grain up into the air, and the wind would blow the chaff away, the heavy grain would fall back, and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. So they put them up on these high hills. So on this hill, here comes the death angel over this hilltop, Jerusalem on the ridge below, and God allows David to see it, and God says, I've had enough, I'm going to stop. Gad sent him up there to offer sacrifice, so David goes up to the mountaintop above Jerusalem where Aruna, who just, I don't think, sees the death angel, he's just minding his own business, threshing his, his uh, wheat. And David went up to him, and, and it says in verse 20, when Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground, and Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, no, 
I insist on paying you for it. I'll not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David, Aruna said, hey, the king wants this. It's yours. I'll give you the ox, give you the land. It's yours. David said, no, I'll not sacrifice to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. I'll tell you an aside here how I preached on this at a former church, this verse, and somebody came up to me afterwards and told me about how it applied to their life a few days later. I'll not sacrifice to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. So a deacon came up to me and said, uh, when I was in college, I got in a fight and I knocked a guy's teeth out. That's always interesting when a deacon tells you one of those stories, you know. And he said, I, I repented of that. And I told him, and, and uh, I confessed that, but he said, it's bothered me. i got to go back and pay for his dental work. This had been 10 years earlier, at least. And he said, this verse has convicted me. I know God's forgiveness is free, but i got to make restitution. I'll not sacrifice to the Lord, and, and it costs me nothing. So he went and looked up this old college guy and said, hey, I'm the guy who knocked your teeth. You know, and he, he paid for his dental work, the guy didn't want it. He said, no, I'm, I, I, he told him this verse, I'm paying for that. The guy had since become a Christian, and they both were reconciled through that event. David said, I'll not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So he bought the threshing floor from Aruna. Verse 24, David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. And that's the very end of the book of 2 Samuel. Now, why didn't God just stop? God saw... God said, my mercy is overcome, I'm going to stop. Why did he send David to build an altar and offer a sacrifice if he wanted to stop? Because there has to be an atonement for sin. So let me tell you the significance of this spot, this place, and why this chapter is the final chapter in the story of David, the end of 2 Samuel. It's like an appendix out of place at the end. Why is it here? It is because of this spot, the threshing floor of Arunah. Chronicles tells us that this spot, this mountain, this hilltop was Mount Moriah. 800 years before this event, this was the spot where God had said, Go to the mountain of Moriah, Abraham, and sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. And Abraham obeyed and went to this spot and was going to obey God and God stopped him in his mercy and provided a ram as a sacrifice and this is where Abraham offered the sacrifice. Now in the plague this is the same spot where David offers a sacrifice and the plague is stopped and this is where Solomon then will build the temple. This is the temple mount in Jerusalem now where the city has spread up the hill and that hilltop where the temple mount is where the dome of the rock now sits this is the spot where the temple is built. That's why this chapter is at the end of the book to connect with kings where Solomon will now build the temple on that spot and sacrifices will be offered as a temporary covering there for our sins. And this is the spot where 1,000 years later, the only Son of God, 
whom God offered as a sacrifice for sins, will walk in these temple courts, will present the kingdom of God, will be rejected, will be whipped up on this mountain, and will be taken outside the camp where he will die for our sins. This is the spot of atonement, and it is linking all this together. There must be an atonement for sin, and the ultimate fulfillment on the threshing floor of Aruna, Jesus, the only Son of God, died for our sins as that once-for-all covering. Isn't that wonderful? And because of that, you can have some relief from the distress that your sin causes. I've been sharing a psalm with you that David wrote each week that speaks of distress. And today I want to share some verses from Psalm 25. Verse 17 says, relieve the troubles of my heart. I don't know if David wrote this at this point, but he wrote it in some comparable time of distress caused by sin. And David said, relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Verse 18, look on my affliction and my distress. Here's our key word. And take away all my sins. How do I get rid of some of my distress? It is by praying to God, God, I want to be right with you. I want your path, not mine. And if any of my distress has been caused by my rebellion, my stubbornness, my waywardness, I confess that now I need some relief. Look on my anguish and my troubles and take away all my sin. That's maybe what you need to do today. And then verse 20, one more verse from this psalm. Guard my life and rescue me. Don't let me be put to shame for I take refuge in you. The word shame is four times in this psalm. David is dealing with shame as he writes this because he sinned and it has brought distress upon him. Can't you imagine his shame? 70,000 died in Israel because he wouldn't listen to wise counsel and he insisted on taking the fifth. What shame he must have lived with. But he knew that God could take away shame. Maybe you've messed up badly. And you're dealing with some shame. That's understandable. Would you see that on this spot, the threshing floor of Aruna, God made sacrifice. Ultimately in the son, his son Jesus, who took your shame so that you could go on forward in life without shame, even when your distress has been caused by your own stupidity, your own rebellion, your own wrongdoing. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God in giving his son Jesus. Would you pray these verses? Lord, relieve the trouble of my heart, free me from my anguish, look on my afflictions and my distress, and take away my sins. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame. Let's pray together. Oh God, we need to take a serious look at our lives today. And we're stressed out people, and some of our stress, Lord, is because we haven't listened to you. And we want relief from that. And so we bring our anguish, and we want to say, God, we want to please you above all. We want to follow your path. We want to do what you want to do, not the expectations of others, not of our culture. Oh God, we confess our sin. Give us relief. Give us shalom, peace that you talk about in your word, harmony in our lives. We're willing to abandon it all and follow you. 
thank you for your son, Jesus. And if there's someone here who needs to see that Jesus is that once for all atonement for their sins, I pray they'll run to you today and be saved. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you to walk down one of these aisles. If today you want to accept the sacrifice Jesus has made for you on the threshing floor of Aruna, if today you want to become a Christian, you'll be willing to be baptized and follow him as Lord of your life. Today, if you need a new start, you've already been a believer, but, but like David, you've gotten off course. You can make a new start today. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need a church home. We'd welcome you to join our church family. This is your chance to respond to God, his spirit, and his word as we sing together. Jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us all. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us all. He is jealous for me. Like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. may be seated. We're going to give our offerings now and worship to a good God who loves us. I'll get you to stand by me in just a minute. 